Hi, I'm Lone Candle. An important part of my policy beliefs is that the national debt matters. It's a huge freaking problem and can't be ignored. Even if I'm convinced that expensive government plans make sense for other reasons, the debt throws a wrench into the thing. Interest on the debt grows higher every year, increasing the proportion of government revenue that has to be wasted just on paying the damn interest. And one day, and it's unclear exactly when or at what levels of debt, an economic catastrophe could hit when creditors stop trusting U.S. debt, refusing to buy it anymore, and sending interest rates through the roof. Furthermore, money borrowed by the government reduces borrowing done by the private sector. So whatever that privately borrowed money would have produced won't come to fruition. The debt is a threat and a burden. It can't be ignored. I think this is true, but modern monetary theory says I'm wrong. Because I believe the debt is so important, I can't ignore a theory that says otherwise, even though getting one's mind around it is quite tough. Modern monetary theory, also known as MMT, points out that the United States owns its own currency. It can pay off any debt at any time. It can buy anything it wants without taxing or borrowing a dime. It simply prints more dollars. Actually, even easier, it presses a few keys, digitally creating money like magic. And this is how the government actually operates. It regularly creates money from keystrokes. Focusing on the amount of money the country owes or the debt to GDP ratio is silly when a country has control over the currency. Now, the implication is not that there should be no restraint on U.S. spending, but instead of the restraint being debt, the restraint is inflation. Sure, the U.S. can start spending more without taxing or borrowing, but this spending adds to the demand for stuff. All else being equal, more demand increases prices, so we have inflation. Thus, the real concern should be the extent to which creating the money to spend will cause inflation. There's another way to look at this constraint. That is, instead of thinking first about inflation, think about real productive capability. If the U.S. is maxing out its latent capability, then the government creating money to produce even more products and services will create more demand for productive assets, like humans, machines, and factories, which will cause the price of these things to go up, which in turn increases the prices of products and services these assets are inputs to. This is inflation. However, if we have unused productive capacities, then the government spending just creates more stuff without inflation. An unemployed person who can't get hired in the current environment is a waste of productive capacity. The government creating money to hire him causes no problems because he isn't being hired by the private sector anyways. Thus, there is no additional pressure on wages or the prices of productive assets, and therefore, there won't be much additional inflation. I see two major categories of implications. One, 
Instead of worrying about the long-run national debt, we need to worry about whether or not we are causing too much inflation. Two, when it comes to keystroke spending, as long as the government is utilizing productive assets that are not being utilized anyways, there is nothing to worry about when it comes to government simply creating money. So, have I joined the MMT gang and changed my view on the national debt and the American government's runaway spending? No. I admit that it's difficult to understand the ins and outs of MMT, but to the extent that I understand it, I'm not there. I agree with a lot of the things they say, but I see problems. I'll organize my problems by the two major implications I mentioned previously. One, the long-run national debt. If we temporarily ignore the capacity issues, then MMT doesn't change anything. We are just exchanging a concern about runaway interest on the national debt with runaway inflation. Both are horrible and should be a huge concern. With both, we can't precisely tell when we should be worried. MMT theorists can't say how really to detect that we are about to explode inflation. So it seems like either way, we have to be careful about spending. Another wrinkle is the Fed. If inflation began to increase, the Fed would raise interest rates, lowering inflation, but making money more expensive, money that people need to invest and make large purchases. This may prevent inflation, but again, it's just exchanging one problem for another. High interest rates mean more of these purchases and investments won't be made, and this hurts the economy all the same. Yet another wrinkle. MMT theorists say inflation can be limited by raising taxes. Taxes take money out of the system and will neutralize some of the government spending. Whether we are raising taxes to fund the government or to neutralize inflation, either way, taxes are raised. MMT may suggest overall lower taxes, though. If there is MMT-caused inflation and taxes need to be raised, then... If the marginal spending by government is more valuable than how the taxed money would have been spent or invested, then this is a net plus, but otherwise it will be a net minus. So, my issue with the first implication is, whether it be the problem with debt, the problems with inflation, the problems with high interest rates produced by the Fed, or problems with taxes, we're just moving the problem around. It's not clear to me that one is worse than the other. So MMT doesn't change anything about my concern of too much spending and the long-run problems this causes. However, the crux will really be the second implication, because if MMT theorists are correct, this is what allows the government to spend more with less consequences than non-MMT economists would predict. This crux is utilizing productive assets that wouldn't have been used otherwise. The problem here? There is no expert that knows what assets will go unused and for how long. The economy is incredibly hard to study, and even a team of experts cannot say with a high level of certainty which assets won't be needed by the private sector and when. It's complicated by that any task the government sets these assets to will likely require multiple assets. So, it's one thing to say there are a handful of low-skilled workers who can't find jobs but another to say the computers, shovels, and other equipment and resources won't be needed at the same time and for the duration of the project. The beauty of the economy is, 
It includes every potential resource and machine that humans may want to use for work or pleasure, as well as every human being on Earth. We don't even know the list of assets because some may not have been invented yet. What is a useless series of objects one day will be a beautiful machine the next. Individuals innovate and work to find their place in the world. Every brain on Earth generally best knows its own situation and struggles to make use of their life. The government is not going to be able to figure that out. It can help along the edges and in big strokes, but can't ensure that the capacity it soaks up won't actually be wanted by the private sector. If it is wanted, not only would this cause inflation, but would cause some ventures or trades to go unmade because government action made the costs too high. Remember, I'm talking about government spending on the margin. This isn't an argument that the private sector does everything better. It's highly beneficial to have a criminal justice system and a military for defense, as well as major infrastructure like roads. Basic welfare is incredibly important to being a just society. But for those issues, the focus isn't whether the assets used to produce those things are unused. It's that taking away the marginal dollar for the private sector to pay for them is totally and obviously worth it. You don't need MMT to justify paying for such things. Where MMT would make a difference is the situation where, yeah, if the private sector would use this asset, it would probably use it better. But it isn't using the asset. So the government might as well use it for the benefit of society. And, as I've stated, a problem here is the government doesn't know which assets won't be used. Once the government starts using it, it's hard to tell whether the asset remains utilized by the government due to no private desire or because the government's use of it has made it too expensive. And this is all assuming a competent and uncorrupt government. Above, I'm claiming philosopher kings, or a panel of experts, can't have the knowledge to efficiently use latent capacity. In the real world, policy is made through politicians who have ideological bias, constituents to please, campaign donors to make happy, the desire to look good for a near-term election rather than do what's best for the long term, and who have an even greater information deficit than the experts do. David Colander has argued that even if MMT is the best theory on the topic, the political system needs more restraint and MMT doesn't properly encourage it among political actors. If progressives buy a naive version of MMT, they may spend wildly on social programs and not properly focus on inflation. Likewise, conservatives may rationalize away concerns about inflation and spend more on the military and tax cuts. Bureaucrats have their own problems. Due to faults in Congress, agencies and departments often become underfunded. They often have the incentive to find uses of their current funds even if those uses aren't efficient, and to keep their involvement in an issue even if it is no longer needed. Also, they have trouble acting quickly. People in the private sector can act much more nimbly to changing circumstances that they see right in front of them. So, almost surely, the government will generally utilize these assets in a biased and inefficient manner. Not only do they not know when an asset is properly unutilized by the private sector, they will grab it and not let go of that asset, even when it is in high demand. MMT theorists have proposed relying on automatic stabilizers, 
but these can be altered by Congress at any time, and the automatic nature of them could lead to them doing too little or too much. Too little wouldn't much change the status quo, but too much would lead to inflation. And it seems that expert determinations would still be needed along with automatic stabilizers. The best argument for government using unutilized assets is in a recession. When everything is frozen due to the fear and uncertainty of an economic downturn, we can be confident that many assets the government utilizes would have otherwise gone unused. So MMT would say instead of issuing debt to pay for stimulus, the government should just create money. I'm open to this. A major policy proposed by modern monetary theorists is a government job guarantee. If people can't get a job in the private sector, then they are unutilized assets, so can sign up for a government job. As soon as demand for them grows, they will leave the government job for a private sector job because the private sector job will pay more. Such a policy may not increase inflation because these people are not being utilized. It gives people jobs that allows them to support themselves and maintain a level of dignity, helps maintain their skills and work mindset so they will be more employable, and may lower recruiting and hiring costs. To the extent that hiring these people does cause inflation, other tools can control it. And while these tools would increase the costs of the wealthier, that is better than fighting inflation by means that cause higher unemployment. People being unable to get a job is far more damaging than the well-off having a little less money. There are several problems here. One, any critical government role can't be done by people who, by design, will leave as soon as the economy picks up. Thus, these will be unimportant and inefficient tasks. This may be okay as long as a government job guarantee truly uses unused assets, but this will be difficult to do, especially while not in a recession. Not only will the projects use the people, but any equipment and resources needed to do the job. Just think of building a bridge. You need laborers, but also engineers, steel, lumber, screws, and nails. And this stuff doesn't teleport itself to the build site. Vehicles and the gasoline needed to power them will be utilized along with the equipment to build the bridge itself, not to mention procurement specialists who know how to gather all the needed materials and foremen who can manage a build site. Will all of these truly be idle? If not, then the project is crowding out resources from the private sector and causing inflation. And many people may stay with their guaranteed government job, even when private demand rises, despite that the guaranteed job pays less. Why? Because the government job is guaranteed. Why accept and learn a new job for a little more pay when I may have to go through the stress of losing my job as soon as that business or the economy sees bad times? Another reason people may keep their guaranteed job over a private one? They can't be easily fired. I mean, if it's guaranteed, then they have the job no matter their performance. Not only does this make for less stressful work, it will lead to shirking. There will likely be a segment of the job guarantee workers who hardly work at all. This keeps them out of more efficient private sector jobs and makes the job guarantee projects done even more inefficiently. Now, it is true that job guarantee workers can be fired for refusing to work or other blatant violations. But the amount of shirking allowed at a government guaranteed job will likely be higher than at a private company. Remember, we're talking about hundreds, 
thousands of projects around the country that pull a variety of resources. One MMT proponent, Bill Mitchell, suggested that if there was a job creating concrete footpaths, then concrete became in high demand, the workers would just do something else. But noticing the higher demand in concrete, or the higher demand in whatever other piece of equipment or resource, then realizing that one of the many projects is using concrete, then assigning the workers to a different project, that would require really astute management and monitoring of the economy. I doubt government could consistently stop on a dime to halt projects using concrete as soon as those projects push up the price of concrete. The projects would have to be riddled with imperfections and inefficiencies that result in inflation. If the job guarantee tasks truly are valuable, then either the private sector would pick them up or it makes sense for the government to do them even if they needed to take assets away from the private sector. And if the tasks are not valuable, then why make people do them just to survive? It'd be better to put people on unemployment or in retraining programs. Don't have them do unneeded tasks, wasting precious hours of their lives. Furthermore, economist Thomas Pally argues that MMT oversimplifies the difficulty of getting to full employment without inflation, and says that generally MMT doesn't do a good job in understanding what the macroeconomic consequences of MMT policy will be. He says that unemployment and inflation often vary by different sectors of the economy, so it can be hard to look at aggregate numbers to determine how to intervene with keystroke spending. Also, inflation doesn't suddenly start when the general economy gets to full unemployment. It begins earlier, so even MMT spending occurring before full unemployment will cause inflation. Additionally, MMT spending increases latent purchasing power in the form of high-powered sovereign money, and this can't be easily turned off in a way that doesn't disrupt the economy. Pally says that this all gets even more complicated when we take into account open economies with foreigners buying and selling the currency. Many of his critiques involve the multiple economic and political constraints and complications that will make executing MMT policy difficult, including how such policy affects expectations of the future and how these expectations will affect the actions of actors in the economy. He also worries that some MMT money will be put into assets, creating asset bubbles, which will eventually pop, damaging the economy and people's lives. Pally additionally describes how a job guarantee policy could have unintended consequences, such as anti-worker governments substituting permanent public sector workers with job guarantee workers to save money, even though these workers won't be as qualified and will have a higher turnover rate. Undermining the pay of public sector workers could spill over to the pay and bargaining power of private sector workers. Pally says many job guarantee tasks will be make-work activity, which will be used by neoliberal politicians to attack government more broadly. A small minority of economists accept MMT. That so few of the professionals in the area buy this as a useful theory should give us pause. Of course, the vast majority could be wrong, but we probably shouldn't make major national policy on a theory rejected by most experts. Jan Torporski contended that even if MMT policies didn't produce inflation on their own, the wealthy, 
bankers, and corporations would fear radical policies and be convinced that inflation would be coming, thereby fleeing their money from the U.S. dollar, devaluing the dollar, increasing the cost of imports, and this would cause inflation. This sounds like a plausible threat to me, and for the risk averse, it's best not to go the MMT route. Policy based on MMT brings other complications. It's not clear that any country but the U.S. could even do such spending. Due to exchange rates and the international trading of currencies, if people didn't trust a keystroke spending government, they could sell this currency and make it useless. The U.S. has a special position as the key currency of the world, so it can get away with such spending in a way that other countries cannot. But the United States should not take this for granted. The predominant currency has changed before. Europe and China could supplant the dollar or turn us into a multi-currency world. If the U.S. created too much money due to MMT ideology, the world could turn away from the dollar, and then we'd be vulnerable to international exchange rate and inflation pressures. Losing the reserve currency status for the U.S. dollar would have its own consequences. We'd lose the benefits of such a status, which are lower transaction costs due to U.S. businesses being able to make international deals in their own currency, less exchange rate risk, and lower borrowing costs for the U.S. government caused by other countries wanting to hold U.S. currency and bonds in reserve. Currently, the U.S. Central Bank, the Fed, and the government's spending arms, the Department of Treasury and Congress, are separated. To fully do MMT policy would require a major institutional change joining these areas of government. The Fed would have to lose its independence from Congress so that Congress could create money at will, and the Fed would have to stop or limit its inflation-controlling measures to allow fiscal policy to do this instead. Over the decades, the Fed has honed its tools. It's pretty good at managing inflation. Congress almost certainly won't be. Will whatever new agency they set up be as good at managing inflation with spending and taxes as the Fed is with monetary policy? Possibly, but maybe not. And if not, there will be real consequences. Majorly changing how the government manages such a tricky economic problem is a huge risk that could cause great damage. And once the institutional structures are changed, it won't be simple and easy to just put the Fed back in charge. MMT theorists can't clearly predict inflation or tell us exactly how which policies will affect inflation. There's a lot of uncertainty in how MMT policy would work. The effects of the major changes needed to execute MMT can't be known for sure. If the new setup leads to a horribly mismanaged economy, the results could be disaster. So for us to switch to MMT would be a huge risk. Sometimes it's better to stick with what we've got than to try something radical that may make us all worse off. And what would be the point to this risk? It's not clear that the inflation restraint gives us more room for spending than the debt restraint. Whether the restraint is debt, inflation, or whatever, it's still a restraint. And if we don't understand inflation well enough to confidently say that the inflation restraint gives us more flexibility than the debt restraint, there's no point in overhauling our thinking and institutions. A reason the central bank is independent in the first place is the tendency of governments to abuse its money-creating power in a way that hurts the economy and the people.
we should be wary about changing this institution or creating a new one that won't yet have the kinks worked out. I disagree with MMT's conclusion that we should have a job guarantee. However, this is the permanent policy that has the best MMT-based argument. The job guarantee focuses on using unused capability so that inflation will not be created. When it comes to other proposals, like a Green New Deal, infrastructure, or Medicare for All, MMT doesn't help. Medical care, building quality bridges, roads, and rails, and developing greener energy require skilled labor and specific resources. These are not assets that will be undesired by the private sector. Therefore, keystroking money to pay for such programs will cause inflation, unless taxes are raised. Higher debt, higher taxes, or inflation must result from these programs, so MMT doesn't lessen the restraints. It doesn't matter if labor force participation is low or if there is still slack in unemployment. If those not working are not qualified for the jobs produced by such programs. And even if such programs can utilize unused capacity now, later the private sector may have a demand for such assets and this competition will cause inflation. MMT doesn't help us pay for such programs. Thus, whether we do them should purely depend on whether the costs are worth the benefits. Would the dollars taxed be better used on these programs than what they would have been used on in the private sector? Does the value of these programs justify higher interest on the debt? Do the benefits justify every dollar buying less goods due to inflation? MMT has nothing to do with whether we should take on such programs. And if we decide to, we will have to pay the price. In summary, modern monetary theory doesn't seem to change much. Okay, the government doesn't need debt. It can just create money. But this creates problems all the same. Whether it's debt or inflation, there are negative consequences to unwise spending. For many cases, the analysis on whether government can afford an action are the same with or without MMT. Is this a better use of the resources than what the private sector would do? In the case of having a military, the answer is clearly yes. In the case of single-payer health care, the answer is more debatable. Where MMT makes a difference is in using assets unused by the private sector. But outside of a recession, this is incredibly complicated, and the government doesn't have such capabilities to nimbly use just the unutilized resources and then release them when the private sector wants them again. At best, the government inefficiently uses desired assets, hurting the economy. At the middle, those with influence profit off government involvement at the expense of everyone else. At the worst, Decision makers in government don't understand how to properly spot rising inflation until it is too late, creating great inflation that significantly damages the economy and the people within it. Thus, I don't think we can use MMT to limit our concern about the national debt. Tough choices about taxing and spending still need to be made. This is a very complicated economic debate far more involved than what I've stated here. I'll never understand all the ins and outs. Different schools of economic thought approach MMT from different angles. 
and there's no way of knowing which school has the best thinking on the economy. If the experts disagree on such issues, what am I going to do? But my concern about the debt is too large and far-reaching to ignore. I had to develop a take on MMT in order to think about policy at all. I do have some uncertainty, but this is where I am right now. And hopefully my struggle with this issue will help others understand it better. I'm Lone Candle. Like me? Come at me. Love me.